How's your prayer life? Would you consider it to be dynamic or maybe a little bit boring? No matter where you're at, we all have room for improvement when it comes to prayer. And what a lot of people don't recognize or understand is that prayer is a conversation between us and God. Yes, it's us speaking, but it's also us hearing from God. And the way that God speaks to you and me is through the Bible, through his word. And, and embedded in the Bible, we have a, a model prayer that Jesus Christ gave us so that we can grow in our relationship with God. Now, it's found in two different places in the Bible, Luke chapter 11 and in Matthew chapter six. And if you put those two prayers next to each other, you'll find out that there's some variation there. And what that tells us is that Jesus didn't necessarily mean for us to pray this word for word. He definitely did not want us to go through it repetitiously and mindlessly, but he gave it to us as a guide. And it begins here in Matthew chapter six, verse nine this way. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what's amazing about this is that Jesus tells us that we get to call Almighty God our Father, that, that we get to speak to him in that way. And, and why is that? Because if, if we self-reflect, we recognize it's not because we're good or we're better than other people or somehow we paid our way into that um, opportunity. No, it's, it's because Jesus made sure that you and I would be adopted into God's family. He paid the ultimate price and not with cash, not with credit, not with cryptocurrency, but he paid with his holy, precious blood. And if you believe that, then you are in God's family and you get all the benefits of being a child of God. And that means you get direct access to God, our Father. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand something, is that God, our Father, is different than our, our earthly dads in this sense. You know, some people, they learn that God's their father and they kind of cringe at that because they have a bad dad. Not all dads are good. Some are abusive whether it's the way they talk or the way they act. Uh, some just berate their children. Others are narcissistic. They're all about themselves and it's all about them. And if you see God that way, well, of course you're not gonna want to pray to him. And you'll assume that he doesn't want to spend any time with you, that when you have a burden, when you have a problem, that you can't, can't talk to God because he's say, I, I, leave me alone. Or if you mess up, you just feel like he's just gonna point that judgmental finger at you and, and tell you to get away and, and he won't forgive you. And, and some people have even taken it to this step. They say, okay, fine, God is my, my good father, but why did he give me such a bad dad? And, and I get that question and, and I appreciate that question, but it, it's fundamentally flawed at, at its base because it's the idea that, that God should be a reflection of my earthly dad. Where the, the reality is, is that our earthly parents should be a reflection of our, our heavenly father, that, that God, is the perfection of our imperfect parents. God is perfect in all of his ways. And that's why you can be confident that when you have a problem, when you have an anxiety, that you can go to God, your father, and he wants to hear you. He wants to draw you close and, and surround you with love. That when you mess up, he's not gonna point that judgmental finger, but he's, he's gonna have those open arms and says, come to me, and he will forgive you every single time. God, Almighty God, our, our Father, wants to grow in this relationship with you. And he wants to hear the good, he wants the bad, whether it's, it's small or big, he's there for you. Jesus in the Bible modeled for us how to speak to the Father. And in, early in the morning, he'd go and, and say, here's, here's what my day looks like, <laughs> please go with me. Late at night, after a long day of preaching and, and dealing with all kinds of problems, he'd go in and just unpack to the Heavenly Father, and so that he could grow deeper in that relationship. And you have that opportunity too.
And if prayer has been difficult for you, I just wanna give you some basic tips and tools. Um, I wanna encourage you to just two minutes a day, that's it, just two minutes a day, try praying to God. Again, it's this conversation. And so start by opening the Bible or, or opening your Bible app. And if you don't know where to go, I encourage you to go to Matthew. Matthew chapter one, read a couple of verses, read a, read a paragraph, maybe read a chapter. Sit there and just meditate on that and think about what does this mean for me? What is God saying to me? And then I wanna give you this acronym. It's called PRAY, P-R-A-Y. P stands for praise, R stands for repent, A stands for ask, Y stands for yield. So you, you get done reading what you read in the Bible and you praise God for that and you thank him for everything that he's doing in your life. And then you repent. If there's an area where God reveals to you that you're sinning, you're messing up, you're falling short, you can tell God, I'm so sorry. And in that moment, know that he has forgiven you. And then you can ask. And a lot of people struggle with that. They say, well, I can't ask for myself. I can't pray for myself. Well, what does a kid do to their parent? They ask all the time. They say, mom, dad, can I have this? Can I go to this place? And, and they give those good gifts. God wants you to do the same. Ask for yourself and also for others and then yield. When you come to a yield sign, what do you do? You let the other person pass first. Well, when you yield to God, you say, your will be done, what you want for me. And so when you end that prayer, you can be confident that God may say yes at that moment and, and that's awesome. Or he may say, mm, not yet, because he knows that it's, it's not necessarily the, the best timing for you. Or he could downright say no. He says, uh, as my child, I know that this is actually not good for you. And when you say your will be done, you can be confident that that's okay. That's a good thing. So what we've learned is that we get to call God our, our Heavenly Father and, and we can ask him for good gifts. And so would you do that with me right now? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, what a blessing that we get to cry out to you and know that you hear us, you love us, and, and that you are for us and help us to grow in this relationship daily as we, we sit down and, and pray with you. We have that, that conversation, that back and forth, as we dig into your word and learn more about who you are and what you've come to do for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer that we get to refer to God as our Heavenly Father and we get to ask him for gifts, spiritual and physical. And one of the first things that he says we get to pray for is for God's kingdom to come. Now, when you hear the word kingdom, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Do you think of castles and kings and queens sitting on their thrones? Do you think of massive armies and, and these rooms full of gold and silver and golden goblets and, and fame and honor? Well, that's what the disciples, Jesus' disciples, thought of when they heard him preaching about the kingdom of God. They assumed that one day Jesus was gonna overturn the Roman government and he would take his, his spot on the throne and then they would surround him as his governors and senators and they would be able to call the shots. No one else would tell them what they could do anymore. But they were wrong. They misunderstood Jesus when he preached about his kingdom and, and they were, he wasn't talking about a, an earthly kingdom. And we find out in the book of John where Jesus is being interrogated that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked him, are you a king? And this was Jesus' response here. It says in John chapter 18, my kingdom of, is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, it's from another place. In Luke chapter 17, he's talking with the Pharisees and he's talking to them and, and he tells them that the kingdom of God will not come with observable signs. You can't say, oh, look, it's over there or look, it's right here among us. But then Jesus says, but it is 
among us right now. So the big question is when we say your kingdom come, what, what are we actually asking Jesus? If it's already among us, <laughs> yet we can't see it, what, what are we asking for? And I, I wanna take you to one other book of the Bible, Mark chapter one, and it says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time he come, he has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the John he's referring to is John the Baptist. And John had been going around preaching the kingdom of God and it got him persecuted. It got him thrown into prison. Ultimately, it got him killed. But what was it that kept Jesus going? Why didn't he stop in the midst of, of all this suffering that was going on and, and all the persecution that he was receiving? It's because Jesus was and is the king over God's kingdom. He could proclaim the kingdom of God is near because Jesus was there right amongst them. And the people didn't recognize that because Jesus didn't walk around wearing this flowing robe. He wasn't surrounded by this entourage of security guards at night after preaching. He didn't go back to the palace to rest. In fact, most people, when they saw Jesus and thought about him, they just thought about him as this, this son of the poor carpenter. And what that makes us realize is that Jesus' kingdom is, is different than any kingdom we've ever thought about before. It, it doesn't come with all the trappings that we've imagined because God's kingdom is an invisible kingdom. God's kingdom is, is the spiritual kingdom that is already among us, that it starts off small, but it has the potential to grow and, and change the lives of people and, and the trajectory of where they spend eternity. And God invites every single one of us to be a part of that kingdom. Now, maybe you've thought about that before, and maybe you thought to yourself, well, there's no way God would let me be a part of his kingdom. And I, I want you to understand something, is that you don't have to be religious enough or, or to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to come from the right kind of family with lots of money. You don't have to be super intelligent or super strong. You don't have to dress a certain way or speak a certain way, and, and you absolutely do not have to be perfect in order to be part of God's kingdom. Remember what Jesus said. He said, repent and believe the good news. King Jesus said, this is how you are, are part of his kingdom, is by repenting. And another way of saying that is surrender. Surrender your life over to him. And, and the way you do that is you recognize you are not in control of your life. You are not the king of your life. Jesus is. Recognize that you are not perfect. You are imperfect. Recognize that you are weak and you need his help. Surrender. And when you do that, believe the good news. Believe that Jesus is perfect in your place. Believe that he is the king that sits on the throne of your heart. And believe that he can take your weaknesses and transform them into power and strength. Repent and believe, and then you are part of the kingdom. And then what do you do? You get to go and share that message with other people. And what do they do? They share that message with other people. And what do they do? They go and share that message with other people. God's kingdom comes one person at a time. So let me summarize it this way. When you pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. You're asking God to help you self-reflect and look at your own life and repent and surrender the areas of your life that, all of it. And when you repent, you can be absolutely confident that the good news is for you, that Jesus Christ came to wash away your sins, to remove them as far as the East is from the West. And then you get to share that with other people. So when you say, when you pray, your kingdom come, you repent, believe, and you share.
repent, believe, and share. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we ask that your kingdom would come into our own personal lives, that you would help us to identify areas where we are falling short and we repent of those areas, Lord. And we also believe the good news that Jesus has washed those sins as far as the east is from the west. And God, right now we intentionally pray that you put people in our lives that are not necessarily part of your kingdom quite yet, that we would share this message with them. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is God's will? God's will is his desire for you and for me. And as we traverse through the Bible, you find God's will pop up all over the place. But what we need to understand is that his ultimate will falls under the umbrella of something that the Apostle Paul shares in his book to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read this for you. Verses 1 through 4 says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, and he says who those people are, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So God's will, his ultimate will for you and me is that he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's ultimate will is that we spend eternity with him. And so you think about that in the grand scheme of things is that his greatest will for you is not that you make lots of money, that you have a particular job or get a, a certain degree. It's not that you find a family or, or build a family, that you get married, have children, have a huge home or drive a fancy car. It's not even that you have a, a pain-free and, and, and a healthy life. His greatest desire is that you would be with him forever in eternity. And in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul reveals to us that God has determined the exact times and places where we should live so that we might reach out to him and find him. So the fact that you are where you are right now in this time in history is not a coincidence. This is not some random act of the universe. This is God's desire for you so that you would grow in a relationship with him and not just for you, but for all people. I thought about this the other day when I was at the, the gas station. I was in line waiting to pay for my stuff and the lady checking us out, a young woman, she had tattoos all over her body and then there was a guy leaning on the counter and he looked like he was homeless and then there was a mom and her daughter and there was a younger guy who looked like he came from money and then there was a gentleman who English was definitely not his first language and he accidentally cut in front of me. But I stood back with this in my mind like, wow, God our Savior wants all of these people to be saved. And, and when I have that thought in my mind, it is so much easier to be kind and patient and loving towards people that I might not be loving towards. You think about that for your own life. There are people, um, clients, coworkers, uh, children, parents, family members, politicians that you may not agree with concerning their moral values or even their political values. And contrary to popular belief, your job and mine isn't to berate and belittle these people and put them down for what they believe. But what Paul said was we, we are to pray for them, we are to thank God for them, and we are to pray that they would come to know Jesus as their savior. When you pray your will be done, what ultimately you're doing is you are asking God to use whatever circumstances you're in, whether 
It's good or bad, whether it's tragic or happy, to draw you and other people closer. And, and what that looks like is that God may open doors for you and he may close doors for you. And doors that you thought were wide open all of a sudden they slam shut and you're maybe wondering why. Well, God in his heavenly perspective is saying, hey, I know that if you went down that path, it would have drawn you away from me. You might have all these great plans for the future and, and, and decisions that you, you want to stay in a certain place for a long time. And all of a sudden, God upends that and he says, nope, I'm going to send you to a different school. I'm going to send you to a different job. I'm going to send you to a different neighborhood. And, and that's for your spiritual good. But also think about this, that God is using in you and his grand scheme of things that we, we learned that we were praying for God's kingdom to come. It's quite possible that God's going to use you to draw somebody else closer to him, a new neighbor, a new classmate, a new coworker. <laughs> Praying this prayer, your will be done, is, is an amazingly powerful prayer. And it's also somewhat scary to pray because what you're ultimately doing is you're saying, God, take me out of my comfort zone. God, I'm not in control, you are. God, help me to love people that I probably wouldn't love otherwise. It's a powerful prayer. It's not an easy prayer, but when you pray it, what it does, it's so amazing. It, it, it helps people draw closer to him. And, and we learned that Jesus had to pray this prayer too. Towards the end of his life, he was in a garden called Gethsemane. And he knew that evening that he was going to be handed over to the authorities, that he would be betrayed into his enemy's hands. And yet in the garden, he prayed with his, his, his fellow disciples and he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, if it's your will, you can take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will be done. And what Jesus was asking in that moment to, for God to take that cup, that cup of suffering away was, Lord, if I don't have to, to die to pay for the sins of the world, I'm okay with that. If there's another way, show me that way. But God said, no, there was no other way. Jesus had to suffer that God separating death on the cross so that you and I would never be separated from God. Jesus prayed, your will be done, and God's will was done. It was not an easy prayer, but it was a powerful prayer. When you and I pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, being in the middle of God's will is the best place you and I can be. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to do your will to save us from our sins. And Lord, help us to yield to you, that to know that sometimes you're gonna open doors, sometimes you're gonna shut them, but it's okay, because at, at the end of the day, your will is that we would spend eternity with you. Thank you so much, amen. Jesus has taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for spiritual things, for God's kingdom to come, for salvation, for God's will to be done, and I'm pretty sure he did that on purpose because more often than not, when we pray, when I pray, the first thing I start praying for is stuff, for physical things. But when we start off by praying for the spiritual, it gets us in the right frame of mind to pray for what Jesus encourages us to pray for next. He says, and we pray, give us today our daily bread. Now for some of you, this, this prayer may be your go-to prayer because you know all too well what uh, food scarcity is, that you don't have food on the regular basis, um, and that when you pray this prayer, it's like you're praying for God to perform a miracle for you. Uh, for others of you, you may be questioned, why do you even have to pray this prayer anymore? With the amount of food that you have in your pantry, in your refrigerator, 
It's quite possible that you have a freezer in your garage. Um, and if you run out of food, you can just pop down to the supermarket and buy more. I mean, think about it. How, how, how many times do you not have to pray this prayer if you look at your bank account and think about how much money you have there stored up or even your credit cards, if you max them out, how long could you go without praying it? A month, two months, a year, maybe more? We are so blessed in our nation. And yet I, I want you to know that whether you, you are experiencing food scarcity or you have food abundance, this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is still relevant. And in it, if you noticed, he, he embeds some repetition. He says, us and our today and daily. And that us and our is, is meant to teach us that when you're praying this prayer, it's not just for you. Maybe you have a lot and, and you're saying, give us today our daily bread. You're saying, God, is there someone in my life that, that doesn't have, that needs something that I can provide? And maybe you're gonna be the answer to somebody's prayer. And then also that today and daily is, is meant to keep us humble, that we are not promised tomorrow, but, but this is helping us to be content with what we have. And the Apostle Paul, he was a gentleman who uh, wrote about how he learned to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether rich or poor. And that's not something that everybody has learned. You know, some people grow up poor, they don't realize they're poor, and then they see somebody who has more than they do, and what does that create in them? envy. <laughs> they, they want what that other person has. Other people grow up and they, they just have riches beyond anybody's means. But once something is taken away, something that they're used to, they don't necessarily know how to survive. So Paul comes in and says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, no matter the extreme. And he shares that with us in the book of 1 Timothy. I want to share this with you right now. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he says in verse six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So Paul says we can be content with our necessities, with food and clothing. And, and there's a big difference between necessities and niceties. Necessities are things that you and I need. Niceties are things that are nice to have, but we can survive without them. Uh, I have four children, and I was blessed to be able to be in the, the labor and delivery room when all four were, were born. And it was amazing. Once they got their little white onesie on and they were swaddled in that blue blanket and they got mom's milk, they were content. They weren't crying. They weren't fussing. They were just satisfied because they had what they needed, food and clothing. Well, let me ask you, do you have what you need? Do you have food and clothing and shelter? If so, you can be content with that. And everything else can go through the necessity nicety filter. And this is what I mean. Do you need a new car? Or let me say, it: would you like a new car? Sure, we'd all like a new car, but do you need it? D does the current car you have, does it get you from point A to point B? Is it paid off? Is it is it not burning oil? Is, is it getting you to where you need to go? Or maybe it is breaking down. Maybe it's, it's costing more to fix than it would to get a newer car. Uh, maybe you don't have a vehicle right now and you need to get to work and you need to buy one. Do you need it or would it just be a nice thing to have? Would it be a nice thing to have a new home? Absolutely. Do you need it? Like is, is the current house that you have, is it big enough for your family? Is it big enough for you? Or are you growing out of it? Is it in a not so nice neighborhood? Is it falling apart? Or is it perfectly fine and you just have money burning a hole in your pocket and you're thinking, eh, you know, it'd be nice to have, have something new. Is it 
a necessity or a nicety. And you can use this filter for anything. Those new shoes that you've been thinking about, um, the new computer, the new uh, earbuds, phone, sunglasses, whatever it is, do you need it? Or is it just something you would like to have? And I'm not saying, and God's not saying, that it's not okay to have nice things. It is okay to have nice things. It's, it's okay to upgrade. But the whole point of this exercise is to help you check your heart and help you understand that having those things isn't going to ultimately fill, fill this hole of joy and, and purpose and meaning in your life. The only thing that can, that can fill that hole is Jesus. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ can give you true meaning and purpose and value in your life. And that's why I love this prayer recorded for us in, in Proverbs chapter 30. It's by a guy named Agur, and I, he, he nails it right on the head. And this is what he says. He says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Where I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. He says, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Just give me my daily bread. So would you pray this prayer with me? Father in heaven, give us neither poverty nor riches, but please give us only our daily bread. Amen. So the great German theologian Martin Luther came up with this really cool analogy to help us understand better temptation and sin. And he said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. And what that means is that temptation is always going to bombard you. It's always going to be a part of your life, but you don't have to give into it. You don't have to sin. And, and I want to be clear here because some people are confused is that they think that being tempted means you've already sinned, and that's not true. In the book of Hebrews, it declares that Jesus was tempted in every way, just like we are, yet he did not sin. He never gave in. So what is temptation? Temptation is, is what the devil, the, the world around us, and our own sinful flesh uses to try to get us to break God's commandments. And when we break God's commandments, it always hurts us, either mentally, physically, or spiritually. And worst of all, it, it drives us away from our relationship with God the Father. And so embedded in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us this amazing petition. He says, he tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, matter, so no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what temptation you're facing, big or small, I want you to pray that prayer right now. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. If you have a friend who is struggling with a temptation and they've confessed to you, pray this prayer over that person. Lead my friend not into temptation, but deliver them from the evil one. I mean, it's so simple. We've said it how many different times, and yet you can use it in a moment's notice. And see, the devil knows that there's power in that. We're told in the book of James that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Well, he doesn't want us resisting him. So he's fine with you and me praying the Lord's Prayer on a Sunday or on a Thursday night or whatever night you go to church. He's fine with that if we're joining together. But if we're not praying it Monday through Saturday in a moment's notice, he's like, whatever. So the Apostle Paul, he, he was also one who knew what it is to struggle with temptation. And he wrote this amazing letter to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 10, he, he gives them this really good advice. And this is what he says. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Right there, it's, it's so important to understand 
that he says, your temptations are common. When I was growing up, I used to think I was a freak. Okay, my dad was a pastor. My mom was a, a Sunday school teacher. I was baptized as a baby. I received the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. And yet some of the thoughts that would go through my mind, some of the temptations that I gave into, they just, they made me feel so ashamed. And I didn't want to talk to God about it. I didn't want to talk to another human about it. But as I started to grow in my faith and my confidence, and I just stepped out on a limb and I started to confess these sins to other people, I found out that my sins were common. <laughs> that I wasn't the only one struggling with these temptations. And the same is true for you. You're not a freak. We're not weirdos. That What this means is that we're all in this intense spiritual war, day in and day out. And what's really comforting is that Jesus, even though he went through every temptation that you and I have gone through, every single one of them, he never sinned. And because of that, he has freed us. He has forgiven us for the times we have fallen. He's also given us the strength to say no to temptation. He has broken those chains. And, and the apostle Paul goes on and he tells us um, more good news about what God is doing for us in the midst of this fight. He says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So first of all, he says, God is faithful. And what does that mean? We, we all have friends and family that we've relied on who have told us that, hey, if, if you're struggling, call, text, email me, and I will be there for you. And we've called, texted, and emailed, and they didn't show up. And a lot of times we say, well, God's not going to show up either. That's our assumption. But the fact that he is faithful means that, no, he will, he will show up every time you cry out to him. And then again, Paul says this, uh, God being faithful will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The devil wants you to believe that you have to give in. The devil wants you to believe that you are a slave to that temptation. But God says, no matter how overwhelming that, that temptation may feel, that you have his strength living inside of you to say no, to resist. In fact, if you've been baptized, if you've received that gift, you are told, we are told that you no longer have to sin we are God's children. That's who you and I are. We are not slaves to sin. And here's another amazing promise. I'll read it one more time. And he says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That means that every time you are tempted, God provides an exit for you and for me. Not that long ago, I went to a movie with my kids. And when we walked in, none of us were paying attention to where the emergency exits were. Well, all of a sudden, the, the voice comes up on the screen. You have the credits rolling. And this voice says, ladies and gentlemen, please pay attention to the exit signs in the, in the front or in the back of the theater in case of an emergency. So the big voice is what helped us identify where these exits are. Well, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, God is going to speak to you. And he may say, stand up and walk out of this room right now. He may say, close that computer down. Get rid of your Netflix account. He may say, call a friend and let them know that you're struggling right now. God is faithful. He will provide a way out no matter what. Now, if you've been following along in this series, you may have noticed that we have not talked about the petition that Jesus gives us that says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is such a big and deep topic that I want to spend quite a bit of time on that. So please uh, keep an eye out for that new series coming out about forgiveness. But for now, let's pray that the Lord would not lead us into temptation. 
Lord, thank you so much for this short and simple prayer. Uh, we all deal with temptations. They are common to us. But we pray right now, Lord, that you would show us the exits uh, beforehand, in the middle, afterwards. Uh, help us to use this prayer for ourselves and for others because there is power in this prayer. It's in your name we pray. Amen.